Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Thank you, ladies, for singing that song, reminding us of who our Lord is. I'm glad you can take your burden to him today, child of God. Revelation chapter 16. Let's read all the chapter if you can. And Will, would you stand with us, please? Let's read all 21 verses. No way we can cover in great detail all of these vile judgments, but I do want to make mention, even if briefly today, of all seven of them. Revelation 16, verse 1, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the waters and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores, because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, And the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed. 
<coughs> excuse me, blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Interested on when the vials of judgment are poured out upon uh, the earth. Fathers, we bow in thy presence. It is to thank you for your goodness and your wonderful grace. We thank you for how you've stirred our hearts, all of our hearts. And Lord, what we believe is not based on how we feel, but we sure are thankful today we can feel what you have put within us. Thank you for allowing us to express that in different ways, different times. Thank you. Father, I pray that you'll put a shout in all of our hearts. Lord, we know we're headed to the land of shouting, the land of singing. God, help us to be obedient even in that, in these days, in our response to thee. I do pray and uh, uh, for each one who is here. I pray that you'll have your, your way with all of us. Speak to our hearts. Change our lives. Take the word of God and minister to us. Say through your word what we cannot say today. We pray the spirit of God uh, that they would be at communion with the good spirit of God in this service today. I pray the Lord Jesus be exalted. Though we speak of these seven vows being poured out in a day to come, soon to come, upon planet earth. Father, I pray that Christ be magnified. Perhaps he be magnified through the saving of a soul or ministering grace to the hearer that knows you in the free pardon of sin and yet is carrying a great weight upon their shoulders. We pray for those who are not among us today, who are away traveling or are away sick. We pray that you'll minister and be very real to their hearts today. We do pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to preach that pleasing to thee. Help us to say only what needs to be stated and leave unsaid what needs to be left alone. I do pray that the Lord Jesus, again, I pray and plead his blood. I pray that he be exalted. Dear Father, I pray, thou who art the giver of every good and every perfect gift, that thou would uh, bestow thy favor upon us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. And amen. Thank you for standing. When the vows of wrath are poured out upon the earth, You know, as we have gone through the book of Revelation, there has come those times when there have been judgments uh, in in series of seven, right, that have been dispensed and dispersed upon the earth. You remember when we saw the seven-sealed book, we knew that soon to come, the one who took the book was worthy to take the book, would begin to open the seals. And now upon the opening of the seven seals, there went, first there were four horses and uh, horsemen, and, and they rode horses, and dispensed there was judgment that was meted out and was seen there was that was a series of seven the second series of seven was seen in the sounding of the seven trumpets and now here we move into these seven vows and they are referred to uh, by many uh, who preach and study eschatology which is the doctrine of last things call them the bold judgments rather than calling them the vile judgments i've referred to them as bold judgments too i would encourage you to always use Bible language until, uh, until you get that settled. Amen. Then you can move on to maybe referring to it as uh, something that uh, we use in our modern-day vernacular. Vile is how it's recorded here in our Bible. These seven vows, these seven bold judgments that we've come to. 
You remember last week in chapter 15 in verse number 7, the Bible says, And one of the four beasts gave unto one of the seven angels seven golden vows, uh, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And then as he gives these seven vows, these seven bowls, uh, an angel each is going to take these containers, these vows, these, uh, we don't know how big the container is, but, um, but they will take them and their mission is to dispense them, disperse them. And their mission is going to be to pour out these vows, these bowls in different particular areas. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out. Now this is toward the end of the tribulation as far as uh, my estimation of it. There are those who would disagree with that. Some believe this comes right at the beginning of the midway point of tribulation. I personally do not believe that. I believe this is toward the end of the tribulation. Verse number one of our text says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vows of the wrath of God upon the earth. And again, what is in these vows? Well, it's easy. It answers it right here. Answered it in verse or chapter 15, even in chapter 14, it's the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God that is contained in these vows. We read to you out of chapter 15, verse number 7, just a moment ago. And, of course, we spent some time on this last week. It says that these vows are full of the wrath of God. You remember that word full gives you the idea of pouring over. And we used as an illustration a dam and the rivers uh, because of taking on water and flash flooding or whatever the case would be, they begin to pour into a reservoir where a dam holds back the water and then it gets to the point that the, uh, maybe the spillway can't contain and, and, uh, and, and expel excess water and so the water begins to seep over the dam and then eventually there's a break, a breach in the dam and then it bursts forth. We gave you two illustrations that uh, most of us are familiar with when the dam broke and and affected the city of New Orleans. Some 80% of New Orleans was underwater after Hurricane Katrina had made its mark upon that area. Uh, then the Johnstown flood in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, 1889. They've had three or four major floods uh, there that has wiped out uh, communities and wiped out people. And that's the idea. These seven vows of wrath, they're going to be, they're going to be poured forth. They're going to burst forth. It's already been seeping over. That is the wrath of God. It's already been poured forth. And during these days of tribulation, beloved, it's going to burst forth. The wrath of God, that is. The, the fury, the, uh, the, the, the might of God is going to burst forth. Going to burst forth. Be great intensity. Great destruction. Great devastation. Revelation 14.10 says something about that. We've reached four messages out of chapter number 14. The Bible says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Twice in two different messages, we've talked about uh, this uh, without mixture. means uh, It means undiluted. You remember up to this point, there's been a little bit of the long-suffering of God can be seen even in the opening of the seven seals, even in the sounding of the seven trumpets. There's been a measure of the patience of God. There's been a measure of the long-suffering of God. But that, those days are over. Those days are over. Those who have received the mark of the beast, at this point, they've gone beyond reach. Uh, their destiny is sealed. And God shall pour forth his wrath upon them. Uh, without mixture, uh, that means uh, undiluted. The, these seven, if you've done any reading after... Uh, commentators, whether they be of yesteryear or modern-day commentators, 
You know how they, they liken these seven judgments and two previous judgments that's been seen in the Bible. In particular, two particular areas. That is, uh, the plagues that was poured out upon Egypt. Uh, I got up about 4.30 this morning, maybe a few minutes before 4.30, and I drank a cup of coffee and went to my desk, as is my habit on a Sunday morning, and I couldn't help but think about those ten plagues in the book of, in the book of Egypt. I'll list them for you, and you find a lot of similarities in these seven vials being poured out. The plagues that are poured out, you'll find a lot of parallel, a lot of similarity. Uh, between what you see here in chapter 16 and what you find in the book of Exodus. You remember God called Moses and sent him to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let his people go, that he might have a people that would worship him. Uh, you remember Pharaoh hardened his heart, came to the, par, uh, came to the point God hardened his heart. And, uh, but uh, God sent uh, through the hand of Moses. God sent ten plagues upon the land. The first plague was when he turned the Nile River into blood. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile, and he confounded their God in sending, uh, sending uh, the, the plague to turn the river Nile into blood. The second plague was a plague of frogs that was throughout the land of Egypt. The third plague, a plague of lies. The fourth plague, there were flies that were throughout uh, the land of Egypt. The fifth plague was the murium upon the livestock, which was like a pestilence. Now, mind you, none of this came upon the Israelites, but came upon all the Egyptians. The sixth plague was a plague of balls upon the Egyptians. The seventh plague, a plague of hail upon all the land of Egypt. The eighth plague was a plague of locusts throughout the land. The ninth plague, a plague of darkness. Then the last plague was the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh was considered, as a matter of fact, all the gods of Egypt were confounded in those ten plagues. Isn't that right? Pharaoh was considered a god, a, a god that was seated upon the throne of Egypt while he was living, and his firstborn was considered uh, being successor to uh, and being heir to Pharaoh. He was considered to be God as well. And when God killed the firstborn uh, of Pharaoh in that night of judgment, beloved, all their hope for the future was wiped out. There was no hope, and there is no hope in this world. You know as well as I, Egypt is always a picture of the world in the Bible. There is no hope in this world, but yet there's hope in God, and there's hope in the world to come, found in Jesus Christ. But these seven vile judgments or bold judgments, they're similar to the plagues in Egypt. They're also similar to the previous judgments, the opening of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets. You will remember there were times in the opening of the seals, one-fourth of the population or one-fourth of the earth was touched in judgment. You remember in the sounding of the seven trumpets, it was one-third. It was only a fraction of the earth. Uh, only one-third either of population or planted earth uh, was touched. But you'll find when these vials are poured out, all the inhabitants that have uh, rejected Christ and all of this earth shall feel uh, the wrath of God. These seven judgments that we read about and preach on today, they're similar to previous judgments in the Bible, but yet they're different. They're different in measure. They're different in intensity. Back again in Revelation 14, verse number 1, the Bible says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. In them is filled up the wrath of God. Look with me before we start working our way briefly through each of these Judgments, look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Verses 5, 6, and 7 of our text today. These final acts upon 
those that have rejected Christ, those that have received the mark of the beast, uh, they're going to get their just due. They're going to get their just reward. Their just reward. Look, if you will, verses 5, 6, and 7 of Revelation 16. The Bible says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, That thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. This angel that is speaking is called the angel of the waters. The angel of the waters. And he declares two things about the wrath of God. Number one, he declares about the wrath of God that God's righteous. He says he's righteous. That's what he says there in these verses. And he is. God is righteous in his declarations. God is righteous, beloved, in his decisions. He is righteous in his movements. He's righteous in his actions. God is righteous. We live in a day and in a society where people will say, how can a God of love do such a thing? How can he not do such a thing is what I would pose to them. I want to say something that's in my heart to say. Beloved, God doesn't have to give anyone an explanation about anything that he does at any given time ever. He's right. He's God. Beloved, that's who he is. And the angel says so. He says, thou art righteous. It's amazing to me how those who criticize when God would act in judgment, they never stop to criticize the sinner that's being judged. Well, they blaspheme God. What audacity that a man would turn from Christ and his offer of grace, turn cold-hearted and walk away from that. What audacity a man would have. What else do you expect God to do? We play around with this business of of God's holiness. He is right and true. The Bible says. Psalm 19 verse number 9 says. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. We've lost that fear. As a matter of fact. I would contend that our society. In the United States of America. We're being conditioned. To reject God's judgment. You remember back when the planes flew into the. Twin Towers in the Pentagon and then the open field. You remember Pat Robertson? I certainly wouldn't agree with him. But he got on his program on TBN and he said he feared that that was the judgment of God against America. You remember the heat he took for that? We're being told today from the media and the liberal outlets that that, uh, that God is a God of love. He is love. Thank God he is love. <laughs> His son never would have come to die for sinners such as you and I if he were not love. Oh, beloved, he's holy. He is holy. Don't you forget that. Uh, Secondly, the angel not only says that God is right and righteous, but he says that the wrath that he pours out upon those that he pours it out upon, they're worthy of it. That's what he says. Look at the last words. Verse number number 6, he says, "For uh, for they are worthy. In other words, the angel looks and sees the judgment that is about to be poured out, and he said, pour it on them, Lord. Give it to them, Lord. Look at how they've treated your saints. Look at how they've treated your prophets, your preachers. Pour it on them, Lord. We live in such a day when the preacher's preaching on sin, we single it out and say, I wonder if he's talking about me. (laughs) 
I'm going to tell you something. The fear of God's been lost on, in our day. There is no fear of God. There is no fear of God. When our children did their, the job they did with our Christmas program, I felt so impressed early that morning, not to bring a set of notes, but just to read from various texts that would have been preached all over the globe for Christmas. Some of you approached me. I appreciate the way you did. Some of you approached me and said, Preacher, I felt so moved of God just upon the reading of all that scripture today. We ought to be moved of God. We ought to when the word of God is preached or when it's read. When we study the word of God, we ought to come with an attitude of suspense, not with our minds all made up. God, speak to me through thy word. Dear Holy Ghost of God, make the word to come alive and live within me. Quicken it to my heart. That ought to be our cry. Ah, but rather we'd, we'd rather roll our shirt sleeves up. Isn't that right? God have mercy. God have mercy. Those that have rejected Christ, those that have rejected God, those that have rejected the Scriptures, judgment's on the way. Judgment is on the way. Then these final acts of God, these, these vows, these bowls that contain the wrath of God. Every person that is alive uh, during those days will get what they've got coming to them. Kind of hard to say, but it's the truth of the word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Look, if you will, at verse number two. Notice this first vow, this first angel in this first vow. There's what is said to be a noisome and a grievous sore that's going to be poured upon those that have received the mark of the beast at this time. Look with me at verse number 2. The Bible says, In the first wind and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. This vial being poured out is going to produce and bring about a sore upon all of humanity living at that time who has rejected Christ and received the beast. They've followed the beast, they've fallen on the face, and they've worshipped the image of the beast. And the Bible says about this sore two things. says it, uh, describing it, two things. It uses the word noisome and grievous. This word noisome comes from a word that, that, that speaks of bad or evil, a bad sore, evil sore. This word grievous speaks of hurtful and painful, and it speaks of great discomfort. When you put the words together, noisome and grievous sore. The idea of something is something that is, um, uh, that is unrelievable, something that is um, uh, something that, uh, that, um, uh, that, that just uh, that, that grips the entire being of a person. We see a picture of this in different places, don't we, in the Bible? Uh, a couple of different places at least. These painful sores, these incurable sores that will one day come upon men. Someone, uh, a wordsmith, I took this note down. He said the Greek word here, the Greek words here are equivalent to the Latin word from which we get our word ulcer, something that is inflamed and oozing and, and, uh, and that is ulcerous. You remember I was talking about those plagues in Egypt. You remember one of those plagues upon the Egyptians was, was the balls upon them from the bottom of their feet to the sole of their head. Listen to what the Bible says about that experience. Exodus 9, verses 9, 10, and 11. 
I'll read them in a hurry. The Bible says, And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a bull breaking forth with blains upon man, upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes in the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a bull breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the bulls. For the bull was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. You ever had a bull? Could you imagine having a, a bull from the top of your, from the crown of your head all the way to the sole of your feet? You think about the patriarch Job. The Bible says in Job 2 and 7 when Satan was allowed to touch the very body of Job. After he'd already destroyed his his family, and already had taken all of his belongings. He's, he comes before God a second time. And he says, if you'll take the heads down a little farther, if you'll let me touch his body. And he said, you touch his body, you just can't take his life. He said, I know how to make him curse you to, to, to your face. And you remember the Bible says in Job 2, 7, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. So there you see it in the Egyptians and in Job, but eventually they were cured of it, right? You do understand during the latter days of the tribulation, perhaps the latter months, there won't be any cure for this. There'll be no no ointment. There'll be no shot. There'll be no medication. That's the idea here, the pain that comes along with it. Notice the people of affected and afflicted with it. Look at verse number 2. He talks about the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. You'll look with me. You're right close to Revelation 14. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. There'll be those that will take the mark of the beast thinking they're escaping pain. And they will for a span of time. Isn't that right? They'll think they're making life a little more comfortable as we've used and I'm sure others have used. Can you imagine a nursing mother needing something for her child during the days of the tribulation? The mark of the beast is very pronounced. You can't buy milk. You can't buy medicine. Can you imagine your mom on the side of a highway after she has wrecked and the ambulance driver is looking for the mark of the beast? You don't have it. They can't treat you. Can you imagine your dad suffering a heart attack and needing immediate care and and they rush him to the emergency room. Your family takes him there. And the doc comes in and says, where's the mark? We need the mark of identification. We don't have it, sir. He refused to take it. I refuse to treat him. The people, the people that will receive that mark, they'll receive that mark to try to avoid pain, but they're only delaying greater pain. Verses 9 and 10 of Revelation 14, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man, uh, man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, and to the cup of his indignation. I cannot imagine the misery. Can you? I cannot imagine the, the, the misery. You say, preacher, why would a man walk on knowing he's walking toward that? It is because of what the Bible teaches. He walks in darkness. He walks in darkness. According to the book of Ephesians, that's what's going on. He's, he's walking in darkness. According to 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, he walks in darkness. According to Colossians chapter number 1, when a man is saved, God brings him out of darkness into his marvelous life. He walks in darkness. 
He knows, but he doesn't know. He's been told, but he didn't hear. He sees, but he cannot see. He walks in darkness. Notice the second one. Look, if you will, in verse number 3, this second uh, vow, this bowl, this judgment, this angel goes forth. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, And the second angel poured out his vow upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Here you'll find that he's talking about the salt water uh, around the world, the, uh, the salt water. Uh, supply. Go back to Revelation chapter 8. We've already seen the, uh, the oceans touched uh, to a certain measure. But then again, when these vows are poured out, it'll be the entire ocean. All the seas will be affected. Uh, just to look at it, uh, uh, back over in Revelation chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. That's in the sounding of the trumpets, but now in the pouring out of the vows, all of the seas, all the oceans, all of the salt water. Um, Somewhere between two-thirds and three-fourths of earth is covered in water, and most of that, the majority of that, in oceans and in seas. In oceans and in seas. And here John writes that, uh, that, uh, that the seas, as this angel, in verse number three, pours, uh, pour, uh, poured out his vial upon the sea, it became as the blood of a dead man. That's not healthy blood, is it? It's not healthy blood. It's dirty blood. It's vile blood. It has an odor to it. It's the blood of a dead man. John Phillips, in his writings on Revelation, he come to this point. I want to quote him several lines here. He said, from time to time, off the coast of California and elsewhere, phenomena known as the red tide occurs. He says, these red tides kill millions of fish and poison those who eat contaminated shellfish. He went on and wrote in 1949... One of these red tides hit the coast of Florida. First, the water turned yellow, but by midsummer, um, it was thick and vicious with countless billions of dinoflagellates. Y'all may have to help me pronounce that. Tiny one celled organisms. He said 60 mile windrows of stinking fish fouled the beaches. Went on to write much marine life was wiped out. Even bait used by fishermen died upon the hooks. Eventually, the red tide subsided only to appear again the following year. Eating fish contaminated by the tide produced severe symptoms caused by potent nerve poison. It went on and wrote about how that very easily, if not treated, it could kill a man. That happened in 1949 and on rare occasion still continues to happen. One writer wrote this about this verse in this particular vow. He said, to the amazement, horror, and despair of the world, the oceans will no longer be fluid, but will become thick, dark, and coagulated like the pool of, uh, like, uh, the pool of blood from someone who has been stabbed to death. It's no longer going to be fluid, but like coagulated blood, the ocean and the seas. Notice the inhabitants of the sea is going to die. Verse number 3 again, the Bible says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Every living soul died in the sea. I, 
there are two things I think are, are just beautiful as far as the placing of a home. If, if you can place a home on, on a mountain, there's something about a house on a hill, but on the side of a mountain. Isn't, isn't that just a beautiful scenery? And, and then at, at the side of water. Now, I've not got to the fresh waters yet. We're about to, but there's a place on the Tennessee River. There's a, one of these country music guys. He, he bought him a, you talk about a stately-looking thing right on the point of a cliff on a bluff i love to drive by that if if i'm ever on the tennessee river with someone and we're up in that area i love to just go by and see what he has there you know as well as i that if you buy uh, land and build a home uh, on the seacoast that's uh, the average man can't afford to buy that and build there but there'll come a day when that property will be worthless because of the stench and the odor that will come from the oceans and the seas. Look, if you will, the freshwater supply. Notice verses 4 through 7. For time's sake, just look at verse number 4. We've already read verses 5, 6, and 7 in the introduction. Look at verse number 4. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. They became blood. Now, the oceans, the seas become blood. Verse number 3. Then in verse number 4, the rivers and the streams and the creeks and the springs, they all become blood. That's all flooded. But that's coming to planet Earth. That's coming to planet Earth. Whenever one of the trumpets were sounded, it was the third angel that sounded. I want to ask you to turn over there, but it's found in Revelation 8, verses 10 and 11. One-third of the running water and fresh water supply of the earth was touched, but here all all of the earth will be touched. You'll remember we referred to it a few moments ago in Exodus chapter number 7. You'll remember when Moses took his rod and held it up over the Nile River. It became blood running in that river. Can you imagine what it would be like to have no water to drink, no water to bathe in, no water to cook with? Did you know the majority of your body is made up of water? Without water, you'll die. We get water even from some of the foods that we, that we eat. But can you imagine no water? Have you ever been by, and some of you have, because you work in the medical field, some of you have said goodbye to loved ones. Have you ever been by the bedside of someone and just what a drop of water means to them? When, they, when their conscience and they, just, if you could just moisten a, a bath cloth and stick it in their mouth or stick it to their lips or moisten their breath, what, a, what just a bit of water is coming today. When the water supply is going to be affected. Let's go through these others in a hurry. Look at the fourth vial being poured out upon the sun and the, uh, the sun and where men are going to be scorched. Verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed. I would have thought it would have said, and, and so they cried out unto God in repentance. It's not what it says, though. It says, and blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. First of all, the scorching of men. The scorching of men. There is a, we understand around the earth, there is a magnetosphere that, that keeps the sun from scorching us. And a lot of scholars believe that God simply, the pouring of this vial, will remove the magnetosphere. And men will be cooked asunder. There's nothing that is as painful as a burn, right? I shared with you a couple of experiences out of my life. When I was about five years old and I stepped up on the, 
the butane heater in my grandmother's house, my foot stuck. I won't ever forget it. And, and when Tater Sneed, Gail Sneed, when he had his wreck up on Highway 15, and, and I got the call, and, and, uh, and there was some oil that was burning over, and I took the pot. I was trying to get out of the house and get to the New Albany Hospital, and, and when the wind hit, hit that, uh, that blaze on top of that pot, I took it to sling it, and the oil went down on my foot, and I had second and third degree burns on my foot. There's nothing, there's no, no pain in the world that I've ever known like the pain of a burn. I remember, some of you may remember, when John Williams was lying under the automobile here in Pontotoc uh, in his shop and gas leaked out of the tank and caught fire around him. He was engulfed in flames under that automobile. Brother Doug Jones called one morning. He'd already been, is it Greenwood or Greenville where the burn center is? He'd already been there to see him a time or two. And he called and he said, look, he said, I don't feel good. Would you come by the house, pick me up, let's go Greenville, Greenwood, whatever it is. He said, need to go visit John Williams. I've got him on my heart this morning. And we've got there. He's just all bandaged up. He don't even remember us visiting. And the reason why is because he kept him knocked out uh, so that they could, uh, they could take those brushes and scrape that skin off. Lynn McLaughlin, you men ought to go home and message Lynn. Tell him you miss him. I love him. You do know Lynn nearly died some years ago. He was under the hood of a log truck. He'd been spraying ether and then took a little bit of gas pouring over into the carburetor and it backfired. Y'all remember that? Backfired, nearly killed the boy. As a matter of fact, he's talked to me riding up down the highway in revival meetings before. I'd asked him about it and, and he showed me on several occasions, Brother Kevin, I asked them to shoot me. He said that gas got all over me and they couldn't put me. I asked him, to, asked him to shoot me. We were going to Taylorsville Back after that happened, a couple of months after that happened, Brother David Barnett and another preacher from area, we went over to Alabama, picked up Josh Hickey and Terry Oswalt, and instead of going straight toward Taylorsville, we went out to the East Coast in Georgia where he was in the burn center. If Lynn were to take his shirt off, he, he doesn't look like you would look, fellas. Some of y'all remember that. I, don't understand, I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. But, and beloved, God is just... Every bit of this wrath plus was poured out on his darling son for the sin of the world. They blaspheme. They blaspheme. You, you'll find three times in this chapter, no less than three times, where you would have thought people would have said, open the church doors, let us get in. Somebody bring us a Bible. Somebody tell us of Christ. you don't get anything else this morning, understand this. The Bible teaches us that it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. And if the goodness of God won't get you there, his chastening hand won't get you there either. It is the goodness of God, the book of Romans teaches us, that leadeth men to repentance. You would have thought when the stroke of judgment hit as we look into the future, that a worldwide revival would take place. But it'll not do any such of a thing. Look with me at verses 10 and 11, the fifth vow. The beast himself. Look at, look at how the beast boasts himself. Chapter 13, verse number 4. Chapter 13, verse number 4. The, the beast will boast himself to be someone. Chapter 13, verse 4, we're testified to that. The Bible says, and they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast and they worship the beast saying who is likened to the beast who is able to make war with him I've got their answer 
Look, if you will, chapter 16 again, verses 10 and 11. They thought the beast was invincible, but he is not invincible. Verses 10 and 11, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. That word seat speaks of his power. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And there again, you would think it would read, and they repented of their sin. But it doesn't say that. It says, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. You talk about a selfish society. And repented not of their deeds. This word blaspheme means to rail against. means to speak against. means to hurl accusation against. Uh, look, if you will, the sixth one, verses 12 to 16. The sixth vial is poured out on the river Euphrates to dry it up so that the kings may cross. This is to make preparation for this great war at Armageddon, this battle. Verses 12 to 16, just to read them. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place in the Hebrew tongue called Armageddon. The last one, verses 17 to 21. Let's read. The seventh vial is poured into the air. A handful of writers call it the seismic judgment because of this great earthquake that comes along with it. And the seventh angel, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. It's finished. It's it. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. There was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And we'll see this in a little more detail soon to come. Verse 20 and 21. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail. Out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, men blasphemed God, blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. You may not remember it. I I remember it every time I'm trying to get ready to preach a portion from Revelation. You, You may not remember it, but I'll always, I guess, read every portion of Revelation, remembering the old hymn, I'm on the winning side, and I'm glad I am. I'm on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. I hope you are on the winning side. One of our men in the prayer room often referred to our prayer room. That's a good thing to refer to, isn't it? Often referred to our prayer room in the morning, in the, on Sunday mornings. One of our men said in the prayer room this morning uh, something along the lines of um, our burden for the lost. 
And I so appreciated that. He struck a chord with me. A burden for the lost. Um, this world thinks we've lost our mind, but we haven't lost our mind today. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, Isaiah said. I'm on the winning side. And I'm grateful for that. I cannot imagine what it will be like for those who have rejected Christ to go through these seven judgments of wrath. But there again, I can't imagine what it is like today for a man in hell Or a woman in hell. Or a young person in hell. Christ bore our sins in his own body. That we might be pardoned. That our sins might be propitiated, the Bible says. That we might be forgiven. That we might know him. Who is altogether lovely. I'm glad I know him. In the free pardon of sin today. Do you know him? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Miss Angie, if you'll be making your way up front.